This podcast is for informational purposes only and does not constitute legal, tax, investment, financial, or other advice. It is not intended to cause or induce breach of an existing agency agreement. Hello? 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 This is the Vancouver Weather State Podcast. And welcome back to Vancouver Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Moretti. And I'm your other host, Matt Scalina. <laughs> Did I get her name right? Moretti. 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 You're back. Melissa's out. Uh, here's the thing. If if anyone's feeling insecure... It's me, just always. <laughs> just, but, but okay, so I've just been thinking about two things. One, you alerted me to the fact that Melissa did a poll on Instagram. Yeah. She is Insta... She's Insta-famous. Insta yeah. But she did a poll who should host the Vancouver Real Estate Podcast moving forward. Right. And it was her or you. And, and I lost. And you Overwhelmingly. lost. Overwhelmingly. Yeah, it was not even close. So, yeah. And and Melissa, well, this is the thing, right? She's good. She's really good. And also, she's got that Instagram following. I don't... Uh, she knows what she's doing. She's got a big personality. I feel like there's a reason you're insecure. Yeah. There's a reason I'm insecure. I'm the well, opposite of that. I well, have a small personality and I don't know what I'm doing. Well, so this is... Here's the other thing. In the last couple months, Melissa has decided she's going to go after reviews for Scalina Real Estate on Google. Right. Now, Melissa has gotten more reviews than we ever had. Yeah. Yeah. Five stars. This reminds she's me of... She's taking over everything. Her, her competency versus my competency. Uh, Sabrina, my wife, put me in place the other day when I said, you have to spend money to make money. And she said, well, you have to make money to spend money. And, I, <laughs> and that was, uh, I felt that. <laughs> I felt that hard. Uh, anyway, so uh, let's let's get to our guest today. This is, speaking of Melissa Moretti, she was in on this interview. We did this while you're away. Congrats, by the way. Um, right. Official congratulations on your, Thank you. on your daughter, Cecilia. Thank you. Uh, but Daniel Dubois is on the show today. So very interesting guy. Uh, he started a real estate technology company called Key recently. And really, this is interesting because he has a history of building startups and selling them. He's done two or three. He worked for Airbnb for years. Now he's teamed up with some big time hitters in Canada to develop this company, Key. And it is really interesting because it's going after a market that is not served in real estate. And it's basically people that don't have a massive down payment to get into markets like Vancouver, like Toronto. They've moved into the States as well. If I understand, is it is it profit sharing? Like, is it it's collaborative down payments? And then, and then you have, it's almost like an investor in what you're buying. We'll let Daniel explain it. But basically, as a tenant with as little as ten to $15,000, you can team up with somebody over Key, okay. which is this, the app. And you can buy into the property and share in the profit, I guess, share in the downside potentially as well. But the really nice thing is, A, you're kind of in the property market. You can benefit from long-term appreciation. You are also, you have secure tenancy, right? I think what one of the things he was talking about is in places like Vancouver and Toronto and I guess other markets in Canada and the United States is the insecurity around 
renting a condo. Sure. You know, it's a, a family member can move in, the renoviction thing that's uh, always talked about in Vancouver. There's a lot of interesting ideas Daniel's putting forward with Key. So stay tuned for that. It's a really great talk. And he kind of, he comes from that world of, of Silicon Valley. So it's right. kind of a little different for our show, but it's, uh, it's great to talk to him. I feel like when I, when I hear ideas about, and I'm going to be listening to this episode, I, I wasn't there for the conversation, right. but I, I feel like when there's going to be someone who's smart enough to capitalize and figure this out and scale a little bit, I think with leveraging, you know, tenants money, right? Well, well, yeah. Yeah. And you've seen that with like uh, guys who have hacked Airbnb specifically in the U S where essentially what they're doing is Airbnb landlords home on their behalf, right. profit sharing. There's always a way, but I feel like this has uh, different scenarios it could go just thinking out loud. Well, yeah. And, you know, one thing I left thinking was, and we've talked now, you know, we've talked two, three times about the Broadway plan and, and the real challenges most people have in Vancouver, you know, month to month saving any money, let alone if not going into debt, right? For the average Vancouver, it's just really challenging. So this offers a way to get in with, you know, a down payment. I think Daniel has the exact stats, but it's like the average wage earner in Vancouver, it, it will take 55 years or something to save up for a down payment. So it's just out of reach right. at this point. And this offers us a third way, threading the needle, really interesting stuff. So stay tuned for that. Can't wait for that. Matt, what else do we have before we cut to this conversation? Well, Adam, I think we, we talked a little bit about it last week. So Marcon has this new project Q. All right. right. And, uh, and it is, I, I'm, we're trying to put a podcast. I'm trying, we're trying to put a podcast, go to Port Moody, do it live. It's in the works, but I haven't been this excited about a project in a long time. Well, you were saying you might even, uh, try to buy a unit. Well, it, it was enticing enough that you left the presentation center feeling excited. I left, I, you know what? And Renee from Marcon put it this way. There's a lot of workhorse units in there. Right. Uh, you know, just solid one beds with parking, mountain views. It's a really cool looking building. How, what's the distance from Yellow Dog? I would say you could walk. Did I, you walk? You know what? Yeah, I think you could walk. Okay, and speaking I'm, of I'm which, did you unit. see, did you see, I was kind of surprised, Justin McElroy put out the best top 10 local Easy breweries. <laughs> no, no, no. <laughs> local breweries, the best 10 in Southwest BC. There's some sleepers on there. I don't know. Really? Yellow Dog was on there. Superflux was on there. Superflux, is it? Ah, God, is it something? The color, I can't remember what it's called, but that beer. So oh. Brady D, the producer uh, oh my of God, the show. He's going to be screaming. So Brady D's favorite beer. I've never been to his house where he's not like fully stacked beer fridge of this. Uh, I, I, I look it up because oh, it's man. like, because we're, we're not doing it justice, but it's there. It's their like go-to IPA. I think it's like 6.8%. It's a little bit, more than, uh, and, and in reality, it feels like more than 6.8%. You're not driving after one of these. No, Let's but put it that way. I, I always, my, my go-to IPA is the big sexy funk from, uh, Strathcona, Strathcona, which I think is, is my favorite beer maybe of all time, but this is a contender. This, so I, I just on the weekend bought, uh, some Superflux, a four pack of right. these beers. I can't remember what they're called. Yeah. And it's almost like once you start drinking these, you can't go back to they have the Easy Tiger Pale Ale. That's not it, though. No. It is called Color and Shape. Try drinking a Corona after you've had a Color and Shape. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's not even, they shouldn't even both be called beer. Right. Pale and round. 
There's your color and shape. All right, let's uh, <laughs> cut to this conversation with. Uh, <laughs> just kidding. Uh, with Daniel Dubois. This is a good one. Strap in. This podcast is sponsored by Marcon, a local family-owned and managed real estate development and construction company that's been around for nearly four decades. Marcon is not only committed to high-quality construction, but it also is making a positive impact in the communities in which it builds all across the Lower Mainland. We want to highlight two incredible Marcon projects. Elmwood, a 38-story tower located at Burquitlam's most important intersection, Como Lake Avenue and Clark Road. This landmark tower will feature 335 condominiums, over 37,000 square feet of office and retail space, and almost 20,000 square feet of amenity space. Elmwood has been incredibly popular with 80% sold currently, but they still have a great selection of junior one-bedroom all the way to three-bedroom homes remaining. Check out markon.ca slash Elmwood for more. And Matt, we are also excited about Sone House, Markon's newest community in West Coquitlam. With 165 homes ranging from junior one-beds to three-beds, Sone House offers the perfect West Coast aesthetic with a more nuanced Nordic-inspired design. Register today at markon.ca slash Sonehaus. That's S-O-E-N-H-A-U-S. Or you can learn more at markon.ca or follow them at Instagram at markonhomes. Markon, building for life. Okay, we're here with Daniel Dubois, co-founder and president of Key. How you doing, Daniel? I'm doing well, thanks. Thanks for having me on the show. Yeah, no, thanks so much for taking the time to speak with us today, Daniel. Maybe for our listeners, can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself? Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was born and raised in, in Vancouver. Started two venture-backed companies in college. Sold those a number of years back and then joined Airbnb full-time. Moved from Vancouver to Toronto to join Airbnb and originally hired a realtor to help me find a place to buy and felt like real estate so binary. You're rather an owner or you're a renter. Someone on my team at Airbnb was saying, you know, what are you doing buying a place? Your team's in San Francisco. If you get relocated in a year, you're not getting any further ahead financially. Plus, there's all these time costs and hassles associated with traditional home ownership. And I always knew Vancouver would would always be home. I knew that I would make it back eventually. So I ended up renting a place and it was great that it provided me freedom and flexibility, but I also missed out on five years worth of real estate appreciation. So I knew there had to be a better way where we could create a world where you could have most of the benefits of ownership, but with the freedoms and flexibilities of renting. And yeah, long story short, that's what led to Key. I met my co-founder through pure serendipity of pitching this idea to one of the top venture capitalists in Canada. And turns out Rob Richards, who started Plaza Ventures, has been thinking about this for a really long time. And we ended up getting together on weekends when I was in town. I was traveling a ton at the time and decided that there's a massive opportunity here for me to leave my dream job at Airbnb and for Rob to retire from Plaza Ventures and start to create a, a future where real estate is a source of freedom and prosperity for everyone. F- fantastic. And and Daniel, before we kind of dive into to key a little bit further, you know, one thing I, I know about you is you've won, you've been celebrated by a number of different organizations in terms of your entrepreneurial spirit. And you mentioned those couple companies. Have you always been an entrepreneur? Like, can you talk, uh, you know, it's interesting, a, a younger guy from Vancouver, where does that entrepreneurial spirit come from? Yeah, I, I don't know the whole born or bred argument. Um, 
I mean, I have a bit of both. Both my parents are entrepreneurs. It very much runs in the family. But I, yeah, I grew up in an environment where you know my parents just, anytime they would see me light up about anything, they would just encourage me in that direction. And I just love to build and I love to create. And entrepreneurship for me is a form of, of creation, right? It's such a form of creativity and, and impact. And uh, yeah, just from my earliest childhood memories, I was always doing something entrepreneurial, right? <laughs> my earliest entrepreneurial memory was in False Creek, where I grew up. I would actually go and pick moss off the train tracks or underneath the Burrard Street Bridge. And then at the young age of five, I would go door to door selling it for $5 a bag. <laughs> and that's <laughs> and a hustler's spirit right there. <laughs> exactly. So, you know, I don't want to talk too much about the companies you sold, but Yep. Were those, I guess I'm wondering about, it, it sounds like you saw a gap in the real estate world, but were those companies related in any way to real estate? Or was it through that experience, I guess, working at Airbnb and trying to sort out your your own living situation that led to to an interest in real estate? Well, there's where there's overlap is in the sharing economy. So um, when I graduated high school, I went backpacking for six months to Australia and I just had the absolute trip of a lifetime, outsurfed for for uh, over five months of the six months. And then we just ended up connecting with an incredible community and couch surfed the entire time. And next thing you know, we're going on surf trips with our neighbors. We're going on bike trips with the families that we're with. It was just such an incredible experience to just be part of something so much bigger and traveling like a local. So that's what introduced me to the sharing economy. There was the, the term sharing economy didn't exist at the time. And my first semester of, of college, I watched a TED Talk that our uh, entrepreneurship professor uh, made us watch. And it was called The Rise of Collaborative Consumption. It, collaborative consumption was sort of the placeholder term and that eventually became the, the rise of now the TED Talks called The Rise of the Sharing Economy. But I remember being in the back of this class and having head-to-toe goosebumps just blown away that uh, that there's a movement around what I experienced in Australia. And it made me want to create that same lifestyle, not just for other backpackers, but here at home in my own backyard um, of Vancouver. So ShareShed was the first business. That was a marketplace uh, for outdoor adventure equipment. So you could rent kayaks, canoes, stand-up paddle boards all off of locals. And that led to a business called Guides.com. And with guides, it was experiences that you could book. So everything from Joffrey Lakes, snowshoeing to yoga on the top of Mount Seymour or sunset stand-up paddleboarding. Um, so yeah, we built a really strong community of 10,000 people and we hosted events constantly. And you know, we had exchange students that were only weeks into being in Canada for their first time who have never been on a hike before that um, you know, would book with us and they're climbing up a frozen waterfall with ice axes. <laughs> so it's pretty incredible. And then just like my, my passion for the sharing economy just continued to to blossom as far as understanding how much underutilized assets there are as a whole. Um, I went to my professors and I asked to learn more about the sharing economy. No one even knew what that term was. So in 2012, I actually did a road trip down to San Francisco and I directed a small film series where I met with startups like Airbnb at the time. I met with larger tech companies, Facebook, Google, met with the first ever co-housing spot. So it's called uh, Rainbow Mansion, where a group from NASA and other tech companies came together, rented out a, a, a massive house, and then uh, they all just pitched in for rent. I met with the embassy, which started up after Rainbow Mountain, and they had a bowling alley in their uh, basement, and it was this massive mansion downtown San Francisco. 
and rent was under a thousand dollars a room right so this really opened up my my eyes i also at at 18 i started a laneway housing company and that was just my that was my first real passion for real estate is the fact that you could take a underutilized asset which is a garage and next thing you know you can convert an alley into a beautiful community so my passion is very much limiting waste, uh, making an impact, and and really working on hard challenges that that can scale and impact the world. So yeah, really grateful that my path led me to Airbnb, which is a company that I've been extremely passionate about for a long time. You know, ever since 2010 when I first watched that TED talk, and yeah, I and mean, from there being able to just see how binary real estate is and seeing how many people are locked out of home ownership and. I knew that there had to be a better way. And it seems like there's a, a really strong community that that agrees. And yeah, really happy that uh, I was able to, to meet my co-founder and then build an incredible team around this mission. So can we unpack that idea of the real estate being binary? Put another yeah. way, and you've sort of touched on this a little bit, but, but what is the problem in your mind that, that needs to be solved in real estate the challenge so let's take vancouver for example it now takes 35 years just to save up enough for a down payment so on average uh, you graduate college and you're not qualifying for a mortgage assuming that real estate prices stay the same which of course are not you're not qualifying for a mortgage until you're in your mid mid to late 50s right that number used to be 25 years in toronto when when we started key was 21 years right so now it's almost gone up 10 years in just the three years that we've been working on this. So it's, you know, it's something that I don't need to spend too much time on the, on the challenge, but this is, uh, this is a generational crisis. And it's actually beyond just a generational crisis. It's, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's new Canadians, it's frontline workers, it's entrepreneurs, it's, you know, it doesn't matter if you're a millennial or Gen Z, if you're not in the real estate market and haven't built wealth in real estate, it's really, really hard to get in for your first time now. So uh, when I say binary, I mean, you have two options. One, you qualify for a mortgage, uh, which is great if you're in a position to do so. And next thing you know, now you have, you're locked into this conventional mortgage where you have high household debt and you have to maintain a certain lifestyle to service that debt, right? And then the other option is that you are locked out of the market and you rent. And uh, maybe what you can do is invest in public REITs or have some type of exposure to real estate, but no one, there's very few people who are thinking that way, right? There's 40% of Americans don't even own a single asset, not, not, let alone like not a house, but actually like not even a stock, right? So we're, we're unlocking a third option where someone can own a position of the home where they live for as little as two and a half percent could be as little as 1%. It's whatever the asset owner on the other side chooses. And the more they own, the less rent they pay. And every month they can choose to purchase more of their home. And after a few years, they have the option to purchase 100% and qualify for a conventional mortgage if they want to go that route, but there's nothing forcing them to do so. So if they leave a few years in, they actually leave with all their deposits plus appreciation. And in exchange as an asset owner, in exchange for having a high, uh, for selling a small portion of equity of the person living there, uh, you're having a higher quality resident. You have no risk of someone being delinquent or destructive or not paying rent because you have custody and collateral over their investments or deposits. And, uh, and then the owner resident pays a proportionate amount of repair maintenance costs. So you're actually incentivizing good behavior. We have one group that 
owns 10,000 homes in the U.S. And one of their goals for 2022 is to have their residents treat their home like homeowners. But how are they going to do that, right? It all comes down to incentive structures. So Key is a real solution to actually incentivize good behavior and, and ultimately partner with your residents. Okay, so I think I understand. But let's say I'm, uh, can you walk us through exactly what this looks like if you're, say, you know, I'm a 30-year-old with uh, $15,000 saved and I'm thinking, okay, how do I get involved in this? Like, what, what, what is the process? Can you walk us through it? Sure. I think the best way to think about Key is a two-sided marketplace, right? So on one side, we have a direct-to-consumer brand for consuming real estate incrementally. And that's the side that you're talking about, the demand side. And then on the other side of the marketplace, it's asset owners. So it's any, it could be a condo developer. It could be a single-family rental asset manager. It could be a, a high-net-worth individual or a family office that has you know built a portfolio over time. So speaking on the demand side of our marketplace, we call that side the owner residence. Let's say you're an aspiring homeowner and you come across key listing of a number of different homes on our platform. And in as little as 15 minutes, you can get pre-approved. So we've integrated with the entire fintech ecosystem when it comes to income verification, uh, credit history, KYC, and AML. It's the first and only that I've come across, at least, all digital home buying experience. So 15 minutes pulled over on the side of the road on your iPhone, you can actually apply to get pre-approved for, uh, for a certain uh, level of rent. And if you get a, you can tour the homes that we have on our platform that we have availability on. We have a ton of demand. So right. some days that we have over 100 people joining our wait list, just, you know, purely word of mouth or as soon as media, if there's any earned media that comes out next thing you know, you know, our, our um, waiting list grows that much more. So we have over 5,000 people that are sort of running in the spot for new supply in Toronto right now. And we're, we're now scaling across Canada. We're going live right now in Alberta, close to going live in, in Vancouver. We're, uh, we just signed a, a deal in Texas. Uh, we have a verbal commitment right now with a great group to go live in San Jose and San Francisco. But all that to say, you get pre-approved and you uh, can do a virtual tour or you can do an in-person tour. And let's say it's, it's what you like, then you can put down whatever the minimum is that the asset owner chooses. We, we often on our website talk about two and a half percent, but the group that we're going live with in Texas wants to do 5% as the minimum. And we have other groups that are talking about doing 1%. In Alberta, it's $5,000 minimum. So let's say $15,000 and the, and the place is worth 600 grand. So that's 2.5%. So essentially, you would be receiving a 2.5% discount in market rent. Uh, and now you have an equity position that grows in value over time. And if you leave in a year, you get your deposits back plus appreciation. If you if you decide to buy the place in a few years or whatever term the asset owner decides to implement, then um, then you can qualify for a conventional mortgage and and purchase the place at the fair market value. So, so and if uh, you're and just so I understand, say I you know put fifteen thousand down, I'm paying twenty two hundred a month rent. I'm there for eight years. Yep. Um, and let's say it's worth we bought it at six hundred. It's worth seven hundred. At that point, I say, okay, I, you know, we're moving on. Does that mean, is there a, a shared kind of split with that appreciation? So, so if it doubled in value for just the simplest math, now your 15,000 is worth 30,000. 
Um, oh, I see. Okay. Okay. Mm-hmm. There's also the ability to apply leverage in our model. So that's without leverage, but, uh, but you can also have, uh, you know, 50% debt to equity position. So next thing you know, instead of having 30,000, now you have 45,000 because you actually matched every dollar of equity that you're putting in with the dollar of debt. And then as a, the asset owner, they can, they can pick and choose through a number of variables. So key isn't just one model where we say, this is the model, you know, take it or leave it to the asset owner. Uh, we work with the asset owner and highlight a number of different variables. So for example, when the owner resident has the option to purchase, sometimes it can be three years, sometimes it can be one year. When the owner resident can redeem their equity. So let's say if they move out six months in, are they able to redeem all their equity only six months in or is there a hold period? Because as an asset owner, if they're receiving $15,000, they want to be able to put that to use. They want to be able to service their debt. They want to be able to go out and use it as equity to continue to purchase. So usually they work on on fund cycles. So there might be a world where an asset owner says there's a two-year hold period on any deposited equity. Uh, There might be a cap on how much an owner resident can purchase of the home. Uh, so maybe an asset owner will say, I'm happy to share on the equity, but only up to 20% of the home. After 20%, they can decide to buy it. They can continue to to live there with a 20% ownership position, or they can take that position and go out and buy a white picket fence home somewhere else. And now they're in a stronger position to do so. Mm. You know, one of the things we talk about a lot in Vancouver with the with the housing crisis is, you know, a lack of purpose-built rental and insecurity for tenants in this situation is part of the benefit. Um, you know, the, the fact that you won't be evicted. Like, absolutely. Yeah. So you, so there's, there's no chance there's stability. Uh, if you're, if you're on the demand or buy side here, there's a level of stability that you won't see in the regular market as well as I understand. Yeah. So what we say is the benefits of owning most of the benefits of owning with the freedoms and flexibilities of renting. So if we break down what those are, there are two real main benefits of home ownership. There's a lot of ancillary benefits, but the two main ones are an equity position that can grow in value over time. And second is security of tenancy, right? No dreaded 60 day notice because your landlord's son or daughter is going to UBC and you have to evict. And then the freedom of renting is short notice and go. And, you know, it's not having household debt. And for me, even being at Airbnb, I knew that I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, that I was going to leave eventually to start a business. And I didn't want to have to maintain a certain lifestyle just to service my debt. or have to feel like I'm dependent on a certain salary, right? I don't want to be house poor is, you know, the common term. Right. So, so with Key, you actually have far more security of tenancy than you would have with a, a you know, traditional rental. The way that it works with Key is... On average, the initial term is a three-year period. So you have three years um, until you have the option to purchase. Upon having the option to purchase, you you don't have to do it. It's not like a traditional rent-to-own where there's a trigger event and you have to decide, do you want to continue to rent or do you want to own? If you decide to continue to rent, then sometimes that can be quite punitive and you can forfeit your deposits, which is which is you know not what key is. Instead, Three years in, you can decide if you want to purchase it. You can continue to be a co-owner, and, you know, purchase up gradually on your own terms. But the asset owner has the option to sell after three years. The owner resident has a first right of refusal. The second right of refusal goes to key. So we can go to our partners and say, um, or, or we can actually raise money and buy that home. And then after that, the asset owner can list on the public market, assuming that the owner resident doesn't want to doesn't want to purchase it. Key doesn't want to purchase it. 
So then the asset owner can, you know, list it on the MLS or run their process as they see fit with six months notice to the owner resident. So all in all, uh, the, the total guaranteed tenure that someone has is three years and six months, you know, compared to 60 day notice. So mm-hmm. it's quite, quite a bit more consumer protection. Are there, in terms of the, the um, just one more kind of buy side question here, in terms of are the rent increases, is it based on kind of the, you know, I guess the jurisdiction you're in, what, what's allowed or, or yeah. how does that work? Well, what's really interesting, I mean, first of all, we're working with a lot of single family rental companies and they only operate in markets where there isn't rent control, <laughs> Right. you know, like Texas, because just financially speaking, that, that's the only markets where it really makes sense. What's super interesting about Key, though, is this is a private co-ownership arrangement between the asset owner and the owner resident. And the Tenancy Act um, actually highlights that co-ownership arrangements are exempt from the Residential Tenancy Act, and it's its own private contract. So we're not actually governed under Tenancy Act. Um, we've worked really closely with um, you know, multiple uh, levels of government in co-creating what we call an owner-resident agreement. And that does operate outside of rent control. It's one of the variables, though, that uh, that we have in our model. So consumers are always going in eyes wide open. So there could be a world where an asset owner says the initial term is three years. After three years, you have the option to purchase. Upon the three-year mark, rent will be reset back to, to market. And this is the this is how we calculate fair market rent, uh, right? It's similar to what you would have right now in Texas or other markets that don't have rent control. And in exchange from being able to, you know, reset mark back to, to rental, uh, you now have asset owners who are, you know, actually view this as a creative to their, to their business while also making an impact and helping people um, get ahead where, you know, real estate in some ways can, can, you know, fuel the fire of housing crisis and can displace people from the home where they live. And now fundamentally, systemically looking at real estate investment as a force for good, where you can invest alongside aspiring homeowners. And as a kind of just final unpacking question here, on the, on the supply side, it sounds like if somebody out there is, you know, I don't know, has five condos in Toronto and is like, Hey, this sounds interesting. I might want to get involved in this. Like how, how big of a player do you have to be to, to, to get involved or are you kind of trying to democratize this process as much as possible? Yeah, we, we want to democratize this process as much as humanly possible. Um, the challenge is if you have five units or 500 units, it's sort of the same amount of work on our end right now. Right. But having said that, we have one asset, one condo owner in Toronto who owns four units. Uh, we have someone in uh, Kitchener-Waterloo who has a few units that we're going live with. So right now, we'll, we'll do things that don't scale and then look to build the technology around it that, that makes it scalable. So we're, we're tradi- for the most part, our team is focused on the single family rental companies that have good values and, you know, want to create a win-win here. But uh, we see key evolving into more or less a, a marketplace where anyone can go and put their, their assets the same way that you could go and create a listing on Airbnb right now. And the same way that Airbnb has three cancellation policies, flexible, moderate, and strict, key has a number of policies that the asset owner can choose within. Uh, and and that can all be automated over time. Hey, everyone. Pardon the interruption. We just want to take a quick minute to thank the following sponsors who make this show possible. 
We want to take a minute to tell you about Holy House, a nonprofit organization that provides community building programs and tenant support services to low-income seniors, veterans, families, and vulnerable residents in the downtown east side and across the lower mainland. Melissa from our team has been volunteering at Holy House. Melissa, what's been your experience? Honestly, it's been so fulfilling just to spend a few hours a week in the community and watch how the staff really transforms these vulnerable communities from the inside out, starting with just small things, right? Playing games, drinking coffee, having some simple conversations that you wouldn't necessarily think are super fulfilling. And you come out just feeling like you've really made an impact and connected with the community. And you've been to multiple buildings, but you're playing games, drinking coffee. Yeah. You know, serving food sometimes. And you made some friends along the way. I've made some friends along the way. It's really helped me be more present, actually, in those moments of just, you know, realizing how simple life can be to make an impact, right? Fantastic. And if you want to learn more, you can definitely check out Jenny Conkin, co-founder of Holy House, who is a past guest fan favorite on the show, or head over to holyhouse.ca where you can donate or volunteer. And they're looking for both donations and they definitely like volunteers. That's holyhouse.ca. Vancouver needs your help. Be part of the solution. We are also sponsored by Oakland Realty. This is our real estate brokerage, best brokerage in the city, hands down. If you are in the industry, a new agent, an aspiring agent, somebody just looking to make a change, new culture, new energy, new resources, head over to oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. That's oakland.com slash join, type in VRP 2020. Not only do you get to meet Michael Morgan and the gang, the big wigs over at Oakland, you get a huge incentive for first going to oakland.com slash join, typing in VRP 2020. Sounds good. So can you tell us a little bit about where the idea came from? I know you touched on it a little bit already, but just give us an idea of how this all transpired. And are there other examples of similar programs that you know of? Yeah. So um, my my story you heard, right? So you, you know my end is just the fact that I, I wanted exposure to real estate, didn't want to forfeit my freedoms, knew that there had to be a, a better way. <laughs> you know, real estate in Toronto over the last five years has probably doubled. So they would have been, a, in hindsight, it would have been a investment. But in hindsight, you know, I knew that I was there now for five years where there's a very real chance that, you know, six to 12 months in, I'd be uh, relocated to San Francisco. Meeting my co-founder, his his uh, story is very similar, uh, yet different. So he's had an incredible career. He started one of the first SaaS-based companies in the world that he took public on the NASDAQ in 1998. So he's a early internet pioneer. He became an angel investor and uh, was investing alongside Plaza Corp, which was one of the largest developers in Toronto. They've built $8 billion worth of condominium alone in Toronto. So massive, massive group. And Anthony Heller, who's the founder of Plaza Corp, is one of the most prolific angel investors in all of Canada. Yet you can't find a picture of him online. Just super humble and just heads down and and has built a, quite the empire. So when I met Rob... I pitched him an idea that's similar to Key, but it was more focused on democratizing access to real estate investing. So allowing people to to invest in real estate and you know have have access to the upside, but have you know freedom and flexibility. Where Rob told me there's an opportunity to take this to a whole nother level, and the way to do that is actually by making sure that the people who are investing are actually owner residents or living in that home. And it's built around creating, you know, an 11 star experience for the the person who can consume real estate incrementally. He also 
opened up my eyes. <laughs> this is for a real estate podcast. This is super fascinating, at least in my perspective, of how real estate currently works. So take condominium as an example. If you're a large condo developer, often you're hiring a third-party group. In Plaza's case, it's Cranston Capital. And that group is making 2,000 phone calls to high net worth individuals to raise money off of them for a specific building. So then they're paying this broker commission on the capital that's raised. Once they have enough equity, they launch a sales process. So they're opening you know, fancy sales offices. They're paying realtor commissions. They're creating a brand. It takes months and months, right? And a ton of uh, costs as well. And then there's the entire closing process, which is, you know, banker boxes up to their elbows. It's just a very messy experience overall. As soon as they get enough pre-sales, they then go to the bank and they unlock construction financing. Then they build as quickly as possible to unlock their pre-sales. They return their money to investors and then they rinse and repeat. They do the process all over again. Mm. Every single condo is siloed. So condominium is not actually a commercially accessible asset class. And what I mean by that is if you're the Harvard Endowment Fund and your minimum check size is $100 million there's, and you can't own more than 5% of a portfolio, there's no way for you to actually get exposure to condo, even though it's one of the most resilient and attractive asset classes in real estate. So the initial thesis that Rob and I had is that we're going to turn condo into a commercially accessible asset class by actually consolidating $2 billion worth of real estate and then allowing these large institutional investors to invest alongside our residents and help lift them up while also being able to, to make money in the process. So um, that was the original thesis. We, uh, we actually went through a process and confirmed Credit Suisse and Wells Fargo as our lead investment banks. And then March of 2020 hit. Uh, we had a first closing of $450 million out of the $2 billion that we had tied up under LOI. And we were quickly, <laughs> quickly realized that large institutional investors are no longer going to invest in, in you know, new strategies and new managers, uh, that everything's going back to the drawing board. And then our investors, we have you know, plenty of top tier venture capitalists and strong founders and just like an incredible, incredible uh, group of leaders around us. And all of them said the same thing is this is an interesting strategy, but ultimately our growth is a force function of capital. So for us to be able to grow as a business, we have to go out, raise money, you know, do due diligence on the building, sign LOIs, eventually go go with definitive agreements and become asset managers. Where you know the the consensus upon our investors were be asset light, be purely a marketplace, and see if there's a way that you can grow key like a like a technology company instead of a tech enabled asset manager. Uh, so that's what we did. We went back to the drawing board and, you know, it was a lot of work and we did a lot of the financial modeling to make sure that it works. And we create a model where we can work with asset owners anywhere and uh, they can apply our model on top of their real estate, making it super, super easy to attach. So <laughs> that's, that's a bit of the history on sort of how we ended up to where we are today. And, and how does, so you mentioned before, you know, in terms of right of first refusal, and I don't know exactly in the number uh, of who gets a right to buy the property, but there's a potential that Key wants to buy the property. Is there, I'm curious in terms of the end game there. Yeah, it's, gr- it's a great question. What we've realized, so before we we're what's called an opco propco model, right? So before we had a propco, we were raising money to then buy real estate and then managing that real estate, right. implementing our strategy of the opco. 
Now we're just purely a marketplace, right? Or a SaaS-based sort of fintech company that any asset owner can apply their real estate to. And what we're finding is now we have multiple people who are identifying key as a strategy and creating their own PropCo around. So we have one group, we have a private REIT that just voted two thirds in favor of rolling all their real estate into key. Uh, we have the group in Texas that I mentioned that uh, they're, they're a home builder and they traditionally do build to sell. They started to dabble with build to rent and now they're attaching more than half of their project of their latest development onto key, building out a case study. And then they want to go out and actually raise money and just be a prop co that purely built on top of our platform. So and when you think about it from a home builder perspective, instead of selling at today's value, if you believe that real estate is going to be worth more in three years than it is today, then it makes a lot of sense to sell gradually on the way up. You're also saving a ton of sales and marketing costs, right? Mm-hmm. As I mentioned earlier, uh, but because key actually is sourcing, vetting, and collecting remaining payments. Um, so, uh, so there's a lot of value there. So yeah, the the second right of refusal of key being able to buy it's key or one of our partners. Um, it could be interesting if we had a PropCo eventually one day. Uh, it's not on the on the roadmap today, but we've kept that right of refusal in there so that um, we can actually give a first look to our ecosystem. Can you tell us a little bit about what the risks are that are associated with key for potential homeowners if the prices go down? Yeah, so so of course there is risk involved, right? If if you're, you go in for fifteen thousand dollars, just to use the same example we've already used, and the market dips. 10%, now your equity positions were $13,500. $13, so there's absolutely risk because you're getting exposure to real estate. But uh, but if you take traditional home ownership as an example, what happens when you're, you know, have high high levels of household debt and the market dips 10% and you're 80% leveraged with the traditional mortgage, you're you're underwater, you know. You know, there's there's situations with the market dip and you're actually leaving and you're not even receiving any of your initial equity back because the market has depreciated. So with key, it's far more incremental, right? And and you can have the level of exposure that you're most comfortable with. We have Stephen Polas, he's a previous governor of the Bank of Canada, uh, you know, one of the most well-respected economic minds. And he just wrote a book, chapter five of the book, it very much validates key and and the fact that as a society we have very unhealthy levels of household debts what happens when the markets dip you know we're we're in for potentially another 2008-2009 where people are just completely underwater again and what Stephen Polas uh, sees as an opportunity is actually having a third option where where real estate is consumed fractionally and uh yeah he's he's an incredible thought leader and the the grandfather of the shared equity program and he's uh chairing our advisory board now and an awesome advocate for for what we're building oh nice that actually dovetails with what i was just thinking about which is you know the intractable housing crisis we have i think a writ large across canada but in places like vancouver i feel like canada's just caught up to vancouver in in a lot of ways because we've been talking about a housing crisis for at least a decade and, and probably longer. Do you see Key as, as helping in terms of solving this housing crisis? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that Key is going to solve the crisis. Right? We need multiple people uh, to be working to to address this. You know, top three challenge that we face as Canadians right now. Right. You know, it's addressing in a very meaningful way because we're 
We're taking household debt, that entire capital burden, off the shoulders of the consumer, and we're commoditizing it through investors in a win-win solution. So Rob, being a pioneer of software as a service, he used to go and present software as a service and selling software outside of companies' firewalls, and people's heads would explode. You know, before you used to have to go out and start a technology company, you'd have to go out and buy a bunch of servers and it's, it would cost you hundreds of thousands or millions of dollars just to be able to have the opportunity to get a website up and running, right? right. Now you just sign up for eight Amazon web servers or Google Cloud and you consume web hosting incrementally. That analysis or, or that example is analogous to what we're building with Key. It's uh, we're taking this capital intensivity off the shoulders of consumers we're allowing someone to start building equity from day one, which right now, if you're talking about housing affordability and accessibility when it comes to just being able to purchase a home, immediately now you have an equity position that can grow in value. And it creates affordability naturally because the more you own, the less rent you pay because you're actually sharing in some of the, the rental income based on your ownership position. So I think affordable housing is super, super important. There's a continuum here of housing, and we need to address all the different stakeholders involved. But alongside affordable housing is affordable and accessible home ownership, and that's that's what we're addressing head on. Mm-hmm. And you know what? I'm just thinking about the the model, and and I, I'm sure this was covered. I'm just trying to go back to it. So the example we used was fifteen thousand down, property doubles, you're thirty thirty thousand. If it goes down by you know, a third year, your 15,000 is, is 10,000. There's a certain, and it sounds like every property is a little bit different potentially, but based on that rent, you are building equity month over month as well. Yeah. So we have $50 of forced savings every month. So on a bare minimum, $50 of your rent is going towards building more equity. So it is on top of your rent because to, to make the model work, the, the asset owner still has to, of course, be you know, doing just as well or if not better because of our our structure. But, you know, if you look at a conventional mortgage, you're sometimes paying more interest than principal of the home. Uh, with key, you're you're paying a proportionate amount of rent, but you can actually set a forced savings plan in our model. We've played around with it before. We were thinking, you know, a certain amount would go towards buying more equity, but then you'd be paying a premium to market rent. So we've almost Robin Hoodified, or to use a Canadian example, well simplified the <laughs> process where now every month you can go directly into our app and choose to purchase more. You can set for savings plan. We have multiple people who are doing $2,500 a month on top of market rent. So they're paying closer to $5,000 a month. What we've realized is, uh, is that Key is also halal compliant. So we have a Muslim family who are new Canadians that have great savings, but they don't qualify for, or they could qualify for a mortgage, but because there's interest, um, it's something that uh, for religion purposes, they're not able to do. So they had their spiritual advisor go through line by line or own a resident agreement and say, as long as they don't have leverage applied, if they opt out of having any leverage, then then this is actually a halal compliant. So they're, they're a group that that is you know putting in quite a bit more than uh, than just what market rent is. You know, maybe as a as a final question for you, Daniel, and we appreciate your time. I'm just curious, you know, coming out of the Airbnb, which of course has totally transformed, you know, markets, at least until there was all sorts of restrictions on the condo market here, totally transformed Vancouver. But, you know, I'm just thinking more generally, in my mind, 
and maybe I'll just put this out there. Real estate seems very, um, what's the word? Traditional in its approach still. Like mm-hmm. there's been all sorts of attempts to disrupt that seem to, you know, potentially fall flat or not have this kind of revolutionary impact that say, you know, other fintech sort of examples we could point to. But yep. more generally, has disruptive technology had the impact you would have expected on real estate so far? Well, I think a lot of people think about it the wrong way, right? They look at the fact that half our GDP is mortgage-related. Uh, they look at the fact that 2% of our GDP is brokerage fees. And then they say, if I could get you know 1% of brokerage fees, then this is how big my company is. And, and they don't consider just you know, the, the importance of relationships and, and uh, partnering with industry. So for, for key, the word disruption, I don't resonate with as much because we're not really disrupting anyone. We're just adding more value and creating a win-win. Take the realtor community as an example. We've been super generous in the program that we've created where upon an owner-resident closing, there's closing costs. We're actually uh, sharing 75% of our economics with a realtor if the realtor brought the the asset owner. So if they sold a a house to an investor, instead of having a tenant in place, they could introduce that investor to key. And then not only did they make their full commission, call it 2.5%, but then if uh, our aspiring homeowner, the owner resident who moves in, uh, purchases it, where we share back commission again for the for the broker who's involved. So I think that's a, that's part of the challenge. It's a very simple industry uh, in many ways, right? It's how much are you buying real estate for, what's what's your cost of capital, and then you know what what type of rent are you receiving, and making sure that your your occupancy rates are healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's not a ton of focus on on uh, optimization. There's not a ton of focus on resident sentiment. And I think those are going to change, especially with the market, as we're seeing, you know, the shift in the last couple of months with interest rate rising, and there's going to be more vacancy and there's going to be, you know, a need and imperative to actually compete. So I hope there's a world where resident sentiment becomes something that, that everyone really leans in on. But in the, but traditionally life is being good, right? If you're if you're a condo developer, if you're if you're just a real estate investor, if you just bought condos and sat on condos, like it does, it's just everyone has done well. I think you know now the tide's going out, and uh, there's going to be a lot of people who are underwater, depending on what type of interest rates we we see here. But yeah, I think the the companies that are trying to disrupt and truly disrupt and are cutting industry out of the conversation and just trying to, you know, purely cut into the way things currently work are going to have a really, really difficult time. Fantastic. Well, maybe we'll leave it there. We do have a, a section called the Five Wire, five lighthearted questions to end the show. Daniel, do you have time to stick around for that? Yeah, let's do it. Fire away. The Five Wire is brought to you by Scalina Real Estate. Hey, that sounds familiar. Scalina Real Estate is a full service real estate company serving Vancouver, offering comprehensive tried and tested buyer and seller systems. With over a decade in the top 10% of realtors in the lower mainland and a perfect five-star Google review, Scalina Real Estate can help with all your real estate needs. We also have an extensive network of the best industry professionals and trades right across the country. There's no reason to not get in touch. Head over to scalinarealestate.com to find out more. All right. What's one book you would recommend for our listeners to read? Ooh, I would say anyone who is looking to start a business uh, to read The Lean Startup. The Lean Startup. Oh, we never had that one. You are on death row. 
Last meal. Ooh, last meal. I will go with faux soup. Oh, yeah. <laughs> awesome. What's uh, what's one thing you've been binge watching lately or a favorite movie you want to share with us? I'm a big fan of documentaries. And the last documentary I watched was 13 Peaks. Oh, is that about yeah. mountain climbing? Yeah. So I saw it. I, I haven't actually watched it, but I almost watched it. So it was good. I'm a sucker for especially my last two companies being outdoor in nature and i love adventure travel so yeah any of any of those anyone who's listening to this in in vancouver there's an incredible annual uh documentary series called real rock that happens in the north shore and it's you know it's often like four or five short documentaries and it's just an incredible event to check out oh check that out favorite music or band Ooh, i'd say uh my favorite band um that's past the test of time is the xx exx that is, uh, that is, I'm old. I don't know. Is that, uh, I've never yeah. even heard of it. I think that might be before my time too. I don't know. Yeah. The XX. Yeah. What, what, what kind of music is it? Uh, it's kind of sort of like a indie rock, if you will. But for the most part, the, the music that I love the most is anything that has a bit of rhythm and funk to it. And I love, I love Tropical House. I love, uh, yeah, I love most music. The, the one music that I really don't like is Top 40. And anytime I'm in an Uber, I always ask them if they uh, will turn off the radio even. So, so and just, uh, I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to search it out. The band, the name of the band is? It's called The XX. The XX. Okay. We're going to be bumping yeah. that in the office today. <laughs> nice. Uh, you know what? And so... I actually, I've added a sixth one. So one that I've just thought of, but the last question of our traditional five wire. What's something you've purchased for under $1,500 that has changed your life in the past few years? Uh, I love that question. I'm going to go with my Hoka recovery sandals just because I'm on Quadra Island right now and I'm wearing them around the house. Oh, as a big guy, I'm six foot six. And yeah, I'll even travel with them now. My wife has a... As a matching pair, which is, yeah, probably looks pretty corny, but we, uh, yeah, we travel with these, you know, they're like $40, but they're, they're a game changer. I'm sold. Okay. As a last question, Daniel, and I jotted down a couple of the, the people you've met in your kind of top 30 under 30, you know, all the awards you've won in your entrepreneurial career. So we have Kofi Annan, the ex uh, UN secretary. We got Justin Trudeau. We got Prince William. You've also presumably met some of the the leading lights in in the Canadian technological space and also in Silicon Valley. Who's the most impressive person you've ran into in your your travels? You know what? I'm going to go with with a, a basketball coach that I had that that passed away in December of last year. His name's Mel Davis, and he actually has a documentary on his life that was nominated for an Academy Award, and wow. just an an incredible story of coming from nothing in the slums of Chicago and going on to becoming a, a, a Harlem Globetrotter for a number of years and training NBA players and then just re- somehow relocating to <laughs> Vancouver of all places and becoming an absolute local legend that as much as he has, you know, was nominated for an Academy Award and has seen so much fame in his life, he's just such an impressive and you know such a such a mentor and and father figure for so many that uh, yeah his life was 
was truly inspiring. And it was his funeral service was just last weekend and his family came up from the States and we played basketball at Kitts Beach. <laughs> and it was amazing to hear all the different stories of, of people that he's impacted and so many stories that I'm sure only Mel and and those individuals will will ever know. But uh, yeah, pretty pretty incredible individual, um, Mel, Mel Davis, Mel Trip Davis. I think you'll you'll find some media on on his life. And yeah, uh, truly inspired and grateful for his mentorship and support over all the years. Wow, great answer. Uh, last, Daniel, how can people find out more about what you're doing and and more about <laughs> Key if they're interested? They our website is lifeatkey.com. Uh, my my email address is just daniel at lifeatkey.com. We're on all social channels, so you'll find that on our website. Uh, and then, yeah, if there's, uh, I'm Daniel M. Dubois. So Daniel M. Dubois on all social channels and be easy to find me on LinkedIn and happy to connect with any of your listeners if there's anything that I can do to be of value. And if there's any questions or anyone wanting to dive deeper, I'll always make myself available. Fantastic. Well, thanks so much for your time today, Daniel. That was a really interesting conversation. Yeah, Yeah, thank you, Daniel. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks so much. So there you have it, folks. Our discussion with Daniel Dubois from Key. Really enjoyed introducing that conversation, but I haven't (laughs) listened to it yet. So I've. Oh man, I I I left with a lot of ideas. I feel like that's the best part about a lot of these conversations we have on the show is. You get to talk to really smart people right. that are trying to solve real problems that we face here in Vancouver, especially. And Daniel did not disappoint. I left thinking, man, maybe we can solve this. There's a variety of different ways people are talking about solving the housing crisis. And this is definitely an interesting one. Yeah, I can't wait to listen to it, Matt. Before we cut for the day, just a quick check-in on the market. It's it's interesting because we had Osfi today came out with... Uh, some Would you minor call it a whopping nothing burger. Yeah. <laughs> and I, a double whopper. No, it it actually uh it wasn't really much of anything, right? No, I, people I think thought they some... might have been more aggressive on HELOCs. Right, on home equity line lines of credit. I believe they are making some slight tweaks right. to the amount of money people can take out in reverse equity, mortgages. Reverse mortgages in but not until October 2023. And even then, I think it's when your term's up. So for a lot of folks, that's kind of 2025, 2026. And it's going to not have a huge impact, I don't think, in any way whatsoever. And do you think, because I mean, the you know, in July, the Bank of Canada is meeting again. People are anticipating an interest rate increase, potentially 75 basis I, I points. Think it's 75. Uh, some are even suggesting higher. Tough to say. Do you think that's baked into the current market or do you think that's, are people right now chasing rate holes? So I feel like that's a good question because it feels, it feels quite busy. It does like it, feel busy. It's, it, the, the on the ground feel in the city of Vancouver versus the media right now, there's a bit of a huge disconnect, a, a, a bit of a disconnect for sure. Media suggests nothing is going on, but uh, I'm in multiples this afternoon one of the guys on our team was in multiples last night. I had multiples on a listing this past weekend, all in different areas, all in different price brackets. And that to me suggests if it's happening on our listings and with our buyers, it's it's happening a lot of places, right? Yeah, and I and I think where the stuff sitting is truly kind of that that February pricing where sellers still want the yesterday's the, price. Yesterday's price. Um that's not to say 
any of these are fire sales. You know, it's no. we're off we're off that peak. I would Mar- say in we're February, off the peak, but marginally. Yeah, yeah, it's still it's still going strong. And and we were saying before, I mean, the city of Vancouver, we didn't see those huge increases that the Fraser Valley saw. And it does sound like our market here in the city is stronger, but it's overall it's uh it's it's fairly busy for for heading into July. Yeah, it, it definitely seems like the market is changing, not quite daily, but weekly. It's like you're you're trying everyone's trying to get a read on what's happening right now. And you know, it seems busy out there. It's definitely not yesterday's prices. There's been some relaxation, but the good stuff's really turning over quickly. And 100%. it does seem it seems hard to kind of get you know, I feel like everyone's kind of testing the waters right now with listings. And you talk to the agents and they're like, I hope this is the outcome. Right. But- and, then, and then, you know, maybe 60% of the time, it's like, wow, that hit it out of the park. And then 30, 40%, you're like, oh, that didn't go the way that I thought. Yeah, exactly. It's very tough to, to get a read on it. And I do wonder with rate holds, right? There's definitely, and I don't know if we said this on the podcast, but I was thinking about it, that that kind of initial shock of the rate increases has kind of worn off. Right. And now it's literally people with rate holds trying to get in prior to this next increase and what that does to to mortgage rates. And then I wonder what happens, right? Because sure. then it's the fall. Yep. And what's going to happen in the fall is, is anyone's guess. This year, since the start of the interest rate increase has played out a little differently than I thought. Right. No, for sure. For sure. Matt, what else do we have for the day today before we cut? Before we cut, Adam, we have VancouverRealEstatePodcast.com. This is our website where all things real estate related live, including the Vancouver Commercial Real Estate Podcast. We also have the Livewire. This is our weekly mailer where you can get VIP access to pre-sale projects. And let's just say, I don't think Hugh's on there yet, but Hugh is, uh, is definitely a project that we're really excited about and have fantastic access. Yeah. Uh, if you like the sounds of those workhorse one beds with with parking, I think starting... Can you go wrong with Port Moody? I feel like Port Moody is such a great... Uh, Port Moody reminds me of Vancouver in in that they don't... It's very hard to build there. The community is very... Is is kind of problematic that way. But still, there's there's massive growth and it's a great community. Yeah. No. And I think young people want to be there. Exactly. It's kind of that if you're not doing Northman, you're doing Port Moody. Right. So anyway, Hugh will be on there. It's not on there yet, but VIP access to a variety of different projects in the pre-sale market, in the commercial pre-sale market. We also have stats before anywhere else, deal of the month, and we have tried and true private client services. Because Matt, if you are not using PCS, you are standing still while the rest of us power walk by. You get sold prices, days on market. You basically get realtor level information for free. It's available at your fingertips. Private client services. I've used this now for, well, we've used it for a decade plus. Is there a better time than the present to be on something like this? Because really the market's shifting. We're talking about it every week, but you can actually see in real time what stuff is selling for. You can monitor the market yourself. It's essentially getting services. it from the horse's mouth. Yeah, exactly. And you know what if I would you say? Sign up for Matt's account. Uh, <laughs> it's a bit of a horse face. Uh, I was also, <laughs> it's funny. When, I don't know what's going a, on with this. A, I was going to say, also, Melissa does it better than you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> anyway, if you want to talk about that or anything else, give me a shout 778-847-2854 or Matt at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Right. And if you want it from the horses behind, <laughs> you can sign up at, at Adam at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com or 778-866-4574. We also got that Kokomo line info at Vancouver Real Estate Podcast.com. Okay, guys, have a great week. And uh, yeah, we'll see you back next week. Absolutely. Take care. Two thousand faces for radio. Subscribe today.